This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to Trumpet Hour. I'm your host, Philip Nice. What is in the news right now? What is it that is in the news right now? I teach a high school journalism class, and I'm always asking them questions like this that are pretty hard to answer, and they're hoping won't be on the test. So yes, this is kind of a hard question in a way, but the answer is simple, just one word. What do I mean by asking you this question? What is in the news right now? Do I mean what Hamas did to the Israelis? What Russia is doing to Ukraine? What Russia is doing to Russians? What the Ukrainians are doing? Do I mean the new political parties in Europe? Freedom of speech in Canada, the social credit system in China, nuclear weapons in Iran, the national debt, the border, race relations, the state of manhood, what schools are teaching children, new surgeries, new variants, new vaccines. I mean all these things when I ask you, dear listener, what is in the news right now? Evil. Evil is in the news right now. In Brussels, in Gaza, in Canberra, in London, in Washington, in Hollywood. Evil. Evil exists. You watch the news. That's probably how you found the trumpet, how you found Trumpet Hour here on KPCG 101.3 FM here in Edmond, Oklahoma, and online at thetrumpet.com slash radio. That's probably how you found Trumpet Hour. And we all watch the news. And whether you watch a lot or a little, you are seeing something in the news, aren't you? You might be a regular listener to Trumpet Hour, Week in Review, the Friday edition of this program, and you know about Saudi Arabia negotiating for its own nuclear weapons, and Russia hosting Hamas, and Cyprus, and the battle for Speaker of the House of Representatives, and you know about Hezbollah and the West Bank, and we could go right down the list. And you see it well outside of this particular program, of course, online, on cable news, even on the nightly world news. You just cannot get away from it. If you are watching human beings relating with other human beings, you are seeing it in a billion different forms. The same thing. Evil. Evil exists and evil is getting stronger. A man in Maine hears voices he has never heard before. The voices he thinks he is hearing are humiliating him. He's behaving strangely. He's threatening to shoot up people at random. And then that is exactly what he does. Name, Robert Card, age 40 years old, murdered 18 children and adults, injured 13 more. Motive? Unknown. This is not just a quote-unquote mental health episode. This is evil. Evil motivates you to take a semi-automatic rifle, walk into a youth league bowling tournament, and use your training and your good marksmanship to murder people that you see there. Then go murder people who happen to be at a restaurant playing in a cornhole tournament for the deaf. That's not just mental health. That's not chemical imbalances in the brain. Or is it? Is it just chemical imbalances in the brain? 
just a mental health episode. Sometimes these things happen. And sometimes people who call themselves holy, call themselves fighters for justice and call themselves heroes. Sometimes they just observe their employers for a while, treat them fine so they don't suspect anything, make some detailed plans, train for weeks, then strap on some grenades and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. Sometimes an army of murderers picks a certain weekend when people are going to worship or at a music festival or just having breakfast at home. And these murderers storm into their intersections and their communities and their front yards and their living rooms and their dining rooms and their bedrooms and their nurseries. Sometimes they just start shooting and stabbing men, women, children, babies. Sometimes they sever body parts and torch people alive and wave for people to slow down their cars and then machine gun them and shoot people in the back and rape women and break bones and mutilate and decapitate adults and babies and slash the unborn out of the mother. Sometimes these things happen. Is that the explanation? Those people that these Hamas wretches terrorized and tortured and butchered are gone. Their last memories were their parents' bodies falling to the floor, their brother suddenly missing his eye, the horror of rape in a field of corpses. These people are gone. They have had their last memories. And for that baby, the first memory and the last. That happened and that, as, as uncomfortable as it is to say that and, and to hear that, that's nothing compared to what actually happened. That actually happened and much more than that happened on this planet, this month, with this human race. Human beings did that to other human beings. And we're somehow still going about our daily lives. I'm ashamed that human beings can do that, that human beings can commit that and how can you describe that except evil human beings being anti-human human minds doing things that are anti-human and they're doing it right now in gaza in avdivka in lewiston in washington dc something anti-human destroying human bodies large and small and destroying human minds, old and young, making humans anti-human. That is happening, is it not? Is this not fundamentally what is in the news right now? Does evil not exist? Well, you are going to have to answer that because some people are saying right now, no, it doesn't. Evil does not exist. Does evil exist or does it not? We're going to look into that. And in this particular episode of Trumpet Hour, we're going to point you to something that you might not have read before, something you might not have known before, but you have to know. It's something that only Trumpet Hour and other KPCG programs point to, basically. And even we do not point to this particular something very often. So please do, if I may ask, listen carefully on this. It will change how you understand the news, how you understand human beings, and how you understand yourself. 
This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. So this topic has been in mind for a while, but a couple of unrelated things recently brought it back to memory. Andrew Miller is here with me in the studio, and we agreed that we'd do an interview for today's show, and we talked about zooming out from our usual week in review uh, topics where we're, we're, we're t- we talk about the news of the week and we talk about it in a pretty good amount of detail. We wanted to zoom out and we, we d- discuss, as we often discuss, um, in random conversations that we have, uh, several different ideas. We thought about the speakership battle, the battle over the Speaker of the House, and how that relates to the, the Constitution. We talked about some other important things going on right now. I did send you an email, a bunch of ideas, and we had astronomy in there, we had chemistry in there, we had basic economics, that great volume by Thomas Sowell. We thought about talking about why the churches are so weak right now, we or the Lost Ten Tribes, or how morality is connected to national security, or the Vatican, or who was Herbert W. Armstrong. All of these topics, which might make an average conversation between you and me on a random Wednesday <laughs> in my office, um, but... We didn't go with any of those because something caught your eye that had also caught my eye, and you came in and suggested this topic. It's uh, something that's very, very interesting. It was uh, at the top of Drudge Report when I saw it, and it's a, a new development. Now, it's not a, a, a war or a uh, something that a world leader said, but it's something that's very unique, and it relates to wars. It relates to terrorism. It relates to world leaders. It relates to everything we talk about. So go ahead and describe for our listener, Andrew Miller, what was that news topic that caught your eye? Yeah, this news topic that caught my eye, it's actually a new report about a neurobiologist, a neurobiologist from Stanford University, whose name is Robert Sapolsky. And he's weighed in and made headlines uh, over the past few weeks on a very age-old debate over the existence of free will. Uh, he's a neurobiologist, so I mean, he's he has a PhD. Uh, he's studied psychology, neurobiology, the structure of the human brain, and he's grappled with this question for something like forty years. And finally, um, kept us waiting with bated breath, come to the conclusion that free will doesn't exist. There's a quote here in the article written about his research where he says, he says, the world is really messed up and made much more unfair by the fact that we reward people and punish people for things they have no control over. We've got no free will. Stop attributing stuff that isn't there. So bold statements here. This is not the first time he's weighed in on this. He actually gave an interview two years ago where we'll have a pretty uh, sizable minute and a half clip. So we can... uh, let you hear his opinion is in his own words, so it doesn't sound like I'm attributing things to him that he has not said, and everyone can understand um, kind of the root of what he's getting at here before we delve into it more. Well, my personal way out and left field inflammatory stance is I don't think we have a shred of free will. Um, despite, you know, 95% of philosophers, and I think probably the majority of neuroscientists saying that we have free will in at least some circumstances, I don't think there's any at all. Um, and the reason for this is you 
do something, you behave, you make a choice, whatever. And to understand why you did that, where did that intention come from? Um, part of it was due to like the sensory environment you were in in the previous minute. Some of it is from the hormone levels in your bloodstream that morning. Some of it is from whether you had a wonderful or stressful last three months and what sort of neuroplasticity happened. Part of it is what hormone levels you were exposed to as a fetus. Part of it is what culture your ancestors came up with and thus how you were parented when you were a kid. All of those are in there and you can't understand where behavior is coming from without incorporating all of those. <clears throat> and at that point, not only are there all of these relevant factors, but they're ultimately all one factor. If you're talking about what evolution has to do with your behavior, by definition, you're also talking about genetics. If you're talking about what your genes have to do with behavior, by definition, you're talking about how your brain was constructed. So there you go. You just heard his explanation for himself, came out very strong that free will doesn't exist, uh, and really doubled down, we're victims of our genetics, we're victims of the physical way our brain is wired, we're victims of the environment we're brought up in, of the culture we're brought up in, and we're conditioned to make certain choices and really don't have much free agency in what those choices are. So fascinating point. I mean, he does get at some things that it, it is true that if you were to show me a newborn baby in America and a newborn baby in India, I could predict with a certain probability ratio what religion that baby was probably going to be, grow up to be. If it was born in America, there's about a 67% chance it's going to be Christian. If it's born in India, probably less than a 1% chance it's going to be Christian because most people do go along with their heredity and their environment. But you can beat those odds or, or so... So we thought. So many think. <laughs> so many think. Now... A lot of people have kind of make fun of this guy for this opinion. I think I even made made the remark that the, the universe has a cruel irony to it to predestinate this poor man to spend 40 years studying this futile question. And if he's right, he didn't even have a choice. He was, right. <laughs> uh, he was always meant to, to wonder for these many years if free will exist. You and I were talking earlier about, uh, you know, what is it that Dr. Robert Sapolsky is doing right now? Well... <laughs> it was it was predestined from from his birth, if not before. So again, this is a neurobiologist from Stanford University who has studied this for forty years. This is a man who is more intelligent than me, <laughs> who is more uh, experienced, who has studied this topic for far longer, and he has come to this bold, but as we're about to see, not unique conclusion that. We do not have control over our actions. We do not have control over our thoughts to a large degree. And he's telling us to stop attributing stuff that isn't there, which we might already be predestined to attribute or not attribute <laughs> based on what, he, what he's saying here. But he's saying that we're victims of heredity and environment, and we do not have free will. We do not have free choice. And we need to think about what that means, and we'll hit that here in a minute. But there are some who went even farther... Uh, who have gone even farther than Sapolsky. He's talking about her heredity and environment have just basically pre, 
destined you to do what it is that you're going to do. But he's not the only scientist who thinks this way. Yeah, because he's a neurobiologist. And actually, the opinion that we don't have free will is a minority opinion amongst neurobiologists, uh, from everything I've heard. It's much more common amongst physicists, though, uh, with even Albert Einstein not believing in free will. There's another clip we have here from a fairly famous physicist, Michio Kaku, who uh, also denies free will and has even gone so far as to say that what you're going to eat for breakfast on October 30th, 10 years from now, has already been determined. We'll let him explain that viewpoint here uh, right now. Newtonian determinism says that the universe is a clock. A gigantic clock that's wound up at the beginning of time and it's been ticking ever since according to Newton's laws of motion. So, what you're going to eat 10 years from now on January 1st has already been fixed. It's already known using Newton's laws of motion. Einstein believed in that. Einstein was a determinist. Does that mean that a murderer, this a horrible mass murderer, isn't really guilty of his works because it was already preordained billions of years ago? Einstein said, well, yeah, in some sense that's true. Even mass murderers were predetermined. But he said they should still be placed in jail. So, yeah, there we've heard from um, Michio Kaku that he's going more than we're just victims of hereditary of an environment. But he's taking this standpoint, and I'm assuming he's atheist, uh, because he says if you look at the world in a materialistic way and say that everything's matter and energy and matter and energy obey the classic laws of Newtonian physics, if you know where all the, <laughs> the atoms in your body are and what direction they're moving and at what speed they're moving, you should be able to predict where they're going to be a second from now and then a second from then and then a second from then and a second from then and then a second from then and a second from then. And you extrapolate that out far enough, whether you eat eggs or pancakes for breakfast 10 years from now today on today's anniversary is something that Michio Kako believes that should be able to be determined. These are highly intelligent people. And, and whether you know where all the particles in the universe are or not, According to these people, the particles of the universe are there, the particles are in your brain, and it's the particles that are causing you to think. It is the particles that are causing you to decide, and it is the particles that uh, determine everything you have ever done and ever will do because they insist there is nothing more than matter and energy. So obviously where all the particles of matter and energy are is unknowable, but whether you know it or not, according to these people, the particles determine everything. And there is no such thing as free choice, free will, you choosing between uh, one alternative or another. That is correct. Uh, Brian Greene, another famous physicist, national bestseller, uh, wrote The Elegant Universe, which sold a lot of copies. Uh, I haven't read that one. He also wrote The Fabric of the Cosmos, which I have read. Uh, I read this years ago, and there's a quote in here that always stuck with me. Uh, it took me a little while to find this week after I was thinking this, but I remember reading this in a Chinese restaurant down in Houston probably back in 2015 or something like that, where he says that free will is a tricky issue, even absent the complicating factor of time travel. The laws of classic physics are deterministic. As we saw earlier, if you don't know precisely how things are now, 
the position and velocity of every particle in the universe, the law of classic physics would tell you exactly how things were or would be at any moment other than the moment you specified. The equations are indifferent to the supposed freedom of human will. Some have taken this to mean that in a classic universe, free will would be an illusion. You are made up of a collection of particles, so if the law of classic physics could determine everything about your particles at any moment, where they'd be, how they'd be moving, and so on, your willful ability to determine your own actions would appear fully compromised. This reasoning convinces me, but those who believe we are more than the sum of our particles may disagree. So the sum of your particles is, is all you are. This man is saying that if there's such a thing as free will, then it has to be non-physical. Is that correct? Is that a good way of... Yeah, that's that a very aspect? good way of phrasing it because that quote, like I said, it stuck with me for years since I read it in that restaurant all that time ago. It's like, okay, he's like, he actually, that last statement is, I mean, it's correct. He's like, says, if you believe in free will that you have the de- ability to change your own actions... You have to believe that your mind is more than calcium ions moving through neurons. If you are just physical particles, and the, the, then the, law, the, the laws of Newtonian physics should predict what you're going to do at any given moment in time. The ability to actually like change your mind and do something different, which most Americans, at least, I think probably most people in the world believe in, believe that we have the ability to do that. There's no explanation for that outside of admitting that there is a non-physical, or I guess the, the, the word for non-physical is spiritual, um, component to your human mind. Right. On the one hand, this is kind of the writings or... or uh teachings, I guess, of, of some obscure scientists with some, some strange ideas. And yet this thinking is behind everything. I mean, you live in a, in a, in an atheistic evolutionary world. Your college professors believed uh, that uh, they were science (laughs) or that, or that science was everything at least. And that, they and that everything out there, everything that exists, is matter and energy. There is no spirit world. There certainly is no God. And our politicians, our CEOs, our teachers at this point, our elementary school teachers have been formed by that system, that way of thinking, which, like we've talked about this before, and you brought out this good point that even atheists who don't really. Th- think about it enough, of which there are many, would have to admit there's no free will. If there is no God, if there is no spirit world, if there is no non-physical component to the human mind, if the human mind is actually just the human brain, then what Hamas did on October 7th, what the terrorists did on September 11th, what anybody does at any time is all just basically a computer program playing itself out. It's just particles bouncing off of each other, and none of this has any point. Now, if you think that's not right, you're totally right. <laughs> but are you also accepting premises of of uh, a- that were based on this atheistic 
approach that conflicts with itself. The reason this has been on on my mind for a long time uh, is this amazing booklet that you pointed out, and I'm glad you did, uh, What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind. What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind. This topic of the mind and, and the brain and and how it works comes up again and again every now and then because people do wonder, you know, what is my mind? How is it that I can think? How is it that I'm conscious of, of myself? And what is good and what is evil if there is such a thing as good and evil? I remember during the Obama presidency, there was a, a big, um, they called it the Brain Initiative, Brain Research Through Advancing Innovative Neurotechnologies. And so basically, I believe in the end, they got $1 billion to study the brain. And, and when he gave that speech, he admitted, you know, we, we can do all these scientific things, and yet we know basically nothing about our brains, about our minds, about what a human being is. And that's something that this booklet, What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind, goes straight to and makes some very clear, very strong statements that are so illuminating on on this topic. You 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 brought up one of them as we were discussing this uh, from what science can't discover about the human mind. Mr. Armstrong, when he he wrote this, and he's talking about the difference between human and animal brains, where he says the brains of elephants, whales, and dolphins are larger than the human's brain, and the chimpanzee's brain is only slightly smaller. Qualitatively. The human brain may be very slightly superior, but not enough to remotely account for the difference in output. What then can account for the vast difference? Science cannot adequately answer. Some scientists in the field of brain research concluded that of necessity, there has to be some non-physical component in the human brain that does not exist in the animal brain. But most science will not admit the possibility of the existence of the non-physical. What other explanation is there actually outside of the very slight degree of physical superiority of the human brain? Science has no explanation due to unwillingness to concede even the possibility of the spiritual. And so that's basically the same argument for like how we get free will. Science has no explanation for how you're able to change your mind uh, without admitting that there's a spiritual component to the brain that allows you to do that. And then Mr. Armstrong, using similar reasoning, says, and also the fact that like if he were to you know, put a dolphin's brain and a human brain in front of you on the table and like try to study why the best one can do is bounce balls on their nose and catch fish and then the other ones designed the James Webb's telescope, uh, th there would be no physical explanation behind that. There's something... There's something spiritual about the brain that not only enables it to do advanced mathematics required to make the James Watt uh, telescope, uh, or if they don't want to do that, spend four decades pondering whether they have a choice to ponder stuff or not, questions dolphins never get around to answering. But then also, yeah, this ability that like you can choose, you're not predestined to do anything. I could get up and walk out of this interview right now. I'm not going to, but uh, but like I, that th th there is a junction in time that I can sit here or I cannot sit here. That's uh, you have free will. It, it has nothing to do with the inertia of the carbon molecules in my body because they're not moving much right now. Uh, <laughs> but it does have to do with, yeah, like I said, something something in your brain uh, that enables you to just 
make random decisions. Right. And this is not just a cerebral uh, conversation, pardon, pardon the pun, but this actually affects our entire society. What you are seeing in the news, um, many of you Trumpet Hour listeners are, are good at keeping up with the news and fascinated by what's happening, what it is that human minds mixing with and often clashing with other human minds are doing, whether it's in Congress or whether it's in you know the South China Sea or, or wherever it is. We have been, for right about a century now, or maybe even more, we have been taught that uh, nothing exists but is physical. It evolved from a godless origin, and and that is that explains everything you see. That explanation is falling apart. <laughs> that's what I want to. That's what I want people to understand. That is falling apart. It's obvious that our entire scientific system, definitely our political system, all these things that are based on that fundamental understanding. Uh, that nothing exists but is matter and energy. Nothing exists but what we scientists can measure. Nothing exists uh, unless we can observe it. That's just false and incomplete on its face. We have built a society. We've built a modern society on that thinking, on that fundamental belief, and and then treated the idea of the non-spiritual the, the, or the non-physical, the spiritual, as you said, as this kind of religion, this kind of... Uh, mythology, this kind of like lifestyle choice, like religion's kind of this side issue, this kind of lifestyle choice rather than uh, the core explanation for everything and every everywhere. So th- this book, What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind, it's amazing because it, it says some things that you might expect and it says some things that you might not. If you might expect, well, yes, the immortal soul is what thinks, right? Like we're physical bodies with an immortal soul. It does not say that. Uh, you might expect it to say that the the uh, he talks about something called the human spirit. You might expect it to say that the human spirit thinks. He specifically says the human spirit does not think. The brain thinks, and the human spirit empowers it. So there, I cannot explain it all, obviously, but it's a short booklet. You can get through it in, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's only about 30 pages. You can get through it quickly, and it will change how you look at your own life, how you wake up in the morning. And when you wake up in the morning and you realize that you have a human mind uh, and all the power and responsibility that that, that comes with, uh, it'll make you understand your whole world differently and, and everything that you're about on Trumpet Hour. So that's what science can't discover about the human mind. Andrew Miller, thank you for leading us to that topic and for uh, speaking well about those uh, current events related to it. Yeah, thanks for having me. is Trumpet Hour. Hello and welcome back to Trumpet Hour here on KPCG 101.3 FM and at the trumpet.com slash radio. I'm Philip Nice and I was just talking to Andrew Miller, a writer for the Philadelphia Trumpet News Magazine. And we were talking about something that you don't see much of in the average news magazine. I did see that particular news item uh, on a popular news aggregator online and he saw it somewhere similar. So people are interested 
but it's kind of this side issue compared to the main news. You know, the main news about Hamas did this to this hostage and this world leader said this and this military unit did that. Uh, the main news, the hard news. News magazines usually stay away from the concept of free will, free choice, even the existence of good and evil, because they don't know. Now, it's the most fundamental thing. If you were to come upon a planet and a race of its inhabitants, you'd want to know the main things about those, uh, those, that, that, those life forms, those, those individuals. What are they? What are their minds? How do they work? What do they do? How do they interact? Is it good? Is it evil? These are the fundamental things about being a human being. The very fundamental things of any thinking life form. We were talking about knowing what a human being is in the first place, and they don't know. The news magazines don't know, and so they don't try traditionally to get into it, which is good because they don't know. But the mind is the source of all the news, of all the evil in this country and in other countries. That truth is just self-evident. If the mind doesn't choose to shoot up the bowling alley or the restaurant or the school, if the mind doesn't choose to murder the family and eat their breakfast in their bloody dining room in the name of Allah, if the mind doesn't choose to sexually pervert the school child behind her parents' back, then it never happens. If people would change their minds, then the evil wouldn't happen in the first place. If we knew how to do that, it would never happen. But we don't know. We should know. We should know what we are. But we human beings don't understand the basic facts about being a human being. And we never talk about it because we don't know even though these are objectively the most basic questions about being a human being. These are the, the most basic questions that would answer why the world is as absolutely evil and ugly as it is. And it's not just like this, you know, side issue. This, this, this is just something for professors to bat about like cats with a ball that has no ultimate consequences. This has consequences. This is... This has life and death consequences. We have got to answer these questions. Entire generations, entire societies are going by with these, these wrong thoughts, these wrong ideas, these self-conflicting ideas, and it's getting more and more evil. It's not stable. It's not getting better. It's getting more and more evil. And you've got to know whether neurobiologists and physicists who say that free choice doesn't exist, are right. Are they right? Uh, we, as a, as a society, we've been saying for a little over a century now that there is no God, only the physical exists. The only things that exist are the things that we can detect. The only things that exist are the things that we can measure. All that exists out there is something that a group of human being life forms that live an average of 70 or 80 years observe with their instruments that they make with their hands. Nothing else could possibly exist except for what we, uh, we, we can detect and observe. Uh, we can detect and measure the existence of a brain, even of neurons, so that exists. But all these things that we call free choice and will and, and evil and good and love is a matter of chemical balances and imbalances. 
you know, it reminds me of something that Trump editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry said one time. This was at a summer camp that I was attending. Middle of July, sweaty teenage kids happy to come in and cool off in the, you know, frigid 80-degree rustic dining hall, and we're laughing and we're joking and we're together, you know what I mean? Like when your minds are together in agreement, but just, you know, together. And we're joking and smiling. We're happy to be together. And there's just that hum and that vibe of happiness. I mean, it was joy. Joy is a thing that exists. And there was some of it there. And Mr. Flurry visited and said a few words. As he was going along, I remember he said in passing something very close to this. You know what you're feeling right now? And we all knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, that joy. He said, you know what you're feeling right now? Scientists will tell you what that is, is a particle shooting up from somewhere in your brain and bumping into another particle. That is exactly what the physicists say. And many of the neurobiologists and the scientists in general. And I don't just mean the scientists you see in the, you know, in the sidebars of the news sites. I mean the scientists upon whom we have built the past century of Western civilization. I mean those scientists, I mean scientists in general, who have defined the Western world for the past century. Your university professors, your politicians, your CEOs, your judges, your justices, your generals, your public health policy advisors, your entire society for a few generations now has been raised to believe in science as its messiah. That's how Herbert W. Armstrong, author of What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind, characterized it decades ago, and how exactly right that is. Science is the Messiah. We human beings don't automatically know what our own human minds are, don't automatically know good and evil, which clearly exist. And we invented, for thousands of years, we invented this religion and that religion. And then more recently, we rejected that because of its terrible outcomes. And more recently put our faith, and I mean faith, in science. And scientists who will follow the logic that nothing exists but the physical have to say and have said that no God exists, no devil exists, no good exists, no evil exists. And whether you and I are talking about this at all on this program right now was predetermined by how the Big Bang exploded. Free will does not exist because it is just particles bouncing around. This, I mean, this is cerebral. Like I said, this is more brainy in that sense. It's harder to see. But this has consequences. It has led to a world where people are looking evil in the face and reasoning that it doesn't exist. We've got these incredibly powerful minds, these minds that produce all local news and all world news. It all comes from minds clashing with minds. And we don't even know what these minds are, much less how they work or what or how they're supposed to work, what they're supposed to be. I don't know. I don't understand what a human mind is or how it works or how to choose before between good and evil. I don't have that pre-programmed into me any more than you do or anyone else. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we, we kind of assume that we do, but I don't have that. I don't know that. And so we have the most important, most obviously basic primary questions in life. And because we don't know, we ignore them. And we set up this entire, these entire societies 
never answering that question, always kind of leaving it to the side, always kind of pondering it, batting it about, and not knowing the answer. Even the churches don't know. You have to look at what's happening, the amount, just the amount of evil. And you have to say, you have to recognize that the churches right now are weak. They are extremely weak. The evil is extremely strong and getting stronger. And even the churches are weak. All part of this society, this society where we ignore the most fundamental questions and deal with the consequences. I mean, you've seen the cracks in our health system. We had su- Remember, we had such faith, such pride in our health systems, our hospitals, our pharmaceutical companies, our vaccines, our cures. We sometimes actually called them cures. Our NHS, our doctors, our Anthony Fauci's. Remember how we used to think about modern medicine? Our Messiah, you could say, all built on the advancements of science. The whole system is like that. The whole society is like that. As fake as modern medicine turned out to be, that's modern media. That's modern governance. That's everything we've built on this fake Messiah. We had so much faith in the medical machine that we even started calling evil something that sounds medical. Mental health, right? I mentioned that earlier. Mental health. It's a mental health episode. Chemical imbalances. Cure it with some mental treatment, some mental drugs, mental hospitals. That's how we have characterized evil. It's mental health. This is, we're talking about good and evil here. We're not talking about something that can be uh, affected by or cured by drugs. We're not talking about some sort of medical condition. We're talking about evil. Evil exists. Stop (laughs) ignoring it. Stop denying it. Stop assuming that it's quote unquote religious because there are a lot of problems with the religions. We just talked about that, even the churches, but there's definitely evil. There's definitely choice. There's definitely people choosing evil and it's a, fact of life. It's a growing fact of life. And every bit of news that you're going to hear that you heard last week on the Weekend Review and Trumpet Hour, that you're going to hear this week on the Weekend Review for Trumpet Hour, evil is a factor. Evil is the motivating factor behind so many of these stories. Jeremiah Jacques talked about that so well on the Weekend Review Asia section on Friday, this most recent program. The same month that human beings have torn into the bodies of other human beings like monsters, our experts on thinking tell us they think we don't have free choice. We're nothing more than heredity and environment, particles bouncing against particles, human computer programs running their course, basically. I reject that. I don't automatically know the truth on this any better than you do or they do, but I reject that. I reject neurobiologists saying that. I reject physicists. I reject scientists so-called as my authority on this. I reject blind faith in fake science that we have been exercising for a long time now as a society. Well, science can make steel and, and radio waves and rocket engines. So tell us about mental health, oh, science. I reject that as my authority. I reject the politicians and everything else based on that wrong faith. And it's a wrong faith. It even has its own wrong Messiah. I reject that to the extent that they are based on that. Your failure is staring us all in the face on this. 
and evil, very real evil is staring us all in the face. So I'm looking for a different authority than the self-contradictory scientists and weak religions and anything else that fails to answer this basic question of human existence, the source of all the news. And we need it answered, and we need it answered right now. We know evil exists, and we need to know why. What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind. That book, that booklet. It's not even a book. It's 27 pages here in my hand. It's written by Herbert W. Armstrong, as I say, and he's not the authority. This booklet isn't the authority. The creator of man's mind is the authority. And this booklet, written by this author, shows you what the creator of man's mind says about man's mind. You read it, and you compare it to what you're seeing in the news, minds clashing with minds. You know, I'm eager to mention a a meeting of the minds, if you will, that prompted this topic in the first place. As I said, Andrew Miller and I arrived at this topic independently, and it was mentioned on the October 18th Trumpet Hour. But something else really prompted this whole idea, not only prompted it, but really propelled it and excited me about it. And that was an email from you, a listener. And it's so great when two or more minds meet on something, you know, where, where you just meet on something that is true. And so she sent through a brief thought on the subject and shared something that is great on this that I get to share with you now. Our producer, Isaac Lorenz, has pulled it up. This is Herbert W. Armstrong, author of What Science Can't Discover About the Human Mind, speaking on this subject. God equipped man with mind power. God equipped man with hands and fingers to work with. God gave man the powers of original thought, of imagination, of reasoning, of assimilating material knowledge, and of reasoning with it, of designing, of thinking out a plan, and of having the originality not only to design, but also having the initiative and the will to execute what he has thought out and planned and designed. Now, no animal except man has a mind in that sense. An animal cannot do that. An animal cannot reason and think out a creative thought and plan and design something and uh, lay out a plan of it and then construct or build what he has designed by original thought and idea and uh, by initiative and all that sort of thing. Animals do not in that sense make decisions. Animals act uh, according to impulse. And uh, the animal brain is merely sort of a mechanism that... Uh, well, under certain conditions, causes the animal to do certain things and act in a certain way. Uh, We call it instinct or nature or whatever you want to call it. In other words, the mind of God reasoned it all out in advance and set that automatic mechanism that we call the animal brain within the animal, and the animal acts instinctively. Animals do not commit sin. Animals do not cultivate, for instance, such things as self-restraint in the way that a human being can such things as patience and all that sort of thing that enter into character building as a human can. Herbert W. Armstrong on the human mind and on what science can't discover. It's fine that science can't discover it. It's wild that scientists so-called deny that it even exists when it's clearly beyond their capacity to discover in the first place. And it's outright foolish that we've built a century of history on this this concept that there's no creator of the human mind, 
there's somehow good and evil, even though there's no creator, there's no non-physical anything out there. Uh, good and evil is basically just these concepts that the particles of our brains came up with. And no wonder it, one man's good can be another man's evil. That's all affecting and shaping the news that you are seeing every week. And this booklet and, and this author, the late Herbert W. Armstrong, that's an authority I can look to and listen to. Is someone pointing me to what the creator of human minds has said about human minds from the Bible and from reasoning based on the Bible? Here's another quote from Mr. Armstrong. The original recording on this one is a little lower quality, but think about this and think about the fact that what he is saying, it's what the creator of human minds says. This explains nothing less than world news. There is a human brain, but there's something more that makes it a human mind. But what, what gives man mind power when animals have the same kind of brain and some even larger and still can't think and reason like a human can? What is, then is the difference? Well, we turn over to one place, I'll tell you in Job, the 32nd chapter and verse 8. There is a spirit in man. You can't find any place where the Bible says there is a spirit in animals in a cow, or a turkey, or an elephant. But there is a spirit in man, and that spirit empowers the physical brain with materialistic intellect. And I say materialistic intellect because that's all it does. That's all it does. Man is made in the image, the form and shape of God, and man is made with a mind which an animal doesn't have. That is the way in which man is different from an animal. He has a mind like God, he's in the form and shape of God, he has hands, for example, which an animal does not have. Man was made to have a relationship with God, but he was also made to have a relationship with his fellows, with his neighbors with his children and other people's children, as the earth became populated. There is a human brain, but there is something more that makes it a human mind. Of course there is. There has to be. And you might know that. You might assume that. You might believe that evil exists and good exists. But you have gone along with the fact that our leaders, the best and brightest among us, the most sophisticated, the determiners of our future, our leaders will be godless, will reject the Bible, will reject a God of any kind, will reject absolute good and absolute evil. A certain former president mentioned often on this program, responsible for fundamental transformations of this country, wrote before he became president that he rejected absolute truth. And that was popular at the time. That was fashionable at the time. That did not prevent him from becoming president of the United States. So you might have a loose belief in God or good and evil, but what I'm realizing even as I say this is that a loose belief is not enough. People with strong beliefs in atheism and evolution have been steamrolling loose beliefs for a couple of lifetimes now. Atheism and evolution, yes, all that was a reaction against weak religions and in many cases religions that were strong and wrong. I understand that. 
Uh, I'm recording this on a holiday that human beings bizarrely used to simulate the kind of human butchery that has been happening for real this month in Israel and Ukraine and Syria and Mexico and other places. And that traces back to a religion, both a church and a pagan faith. So religions, plural. So this isn't about being religious, certainly not being religious for its own sake. This is about being right. This is about understanding reality as it actually exists. And you're not going to be right or understand reality based on your own brain and your own mind and your own reasoning. The knowledge of what the human mind is wasn't randomly loaded into a middle-aged nobody with a microphone in Edmond, Oklahoma, talking to you now. It's not preloaded into any of us. That knowledge has to come from the creator of the human mind. Of course it does. And you have to get that knowledge or you're blind. You have to get that knowledge. And every day you wake up and have a human mind, you are proving this point and you are reviving this unanswered question until you answer it. And there's a time limit on this. Every day you see that evil exists as you're watching the news. You see that it spreads. It's in its inherent nature to spread. Something anti-human is in human beings, in human minds. You need to understand what it is, what the human mind is. So what science can't discover about the human mind by Herbert W. Armstrong, thetrumpet.com slash library, or call one of our friends across campus at our call center, 1-800-772-8577. Again, that's thetrumpet.com slash library or 1-800-772-8577. What science can't discover about the human mind. That is today's November 1st edition of Trumpet Hour. Email us your thoughts on the program at letters at thetrumpet.com. What do you think about this subject? What do you think about what science can't discover about the human mind? What do you think about the fact that it was written almost 50 years ago now? Has it aged well? Has it stood the test of time? Let me know. Letters at thetrumpet.com. Letters at thetrumpet.com. I want to say thank you to Isaac Lorenz for staying late once again to engineer and produce this particular hour of radio. Your service, sir, is appreciated by me and by our listeners. And to you, listener, thank you for joining us on this Wednesday edition of Trumpet Hour. We will be back on Friday with Andrew Miller and the rest of our panel of trumpet writers to bring you this week's Week in Review. We look forward to being back with you then.